from my trench to yours, it's The Other Animals for July 2nd, 2022, show number 114. Matters more urgent caused our absence. Now, witness the result. We are back. I'm Laurent Levy. Thanks for checking us out. Yeah, we really have been away far too long, but definitely good to be back. Uh, okay, that was, uh, I guess, kind of a clumsy edit, you know, but, um, you know, the Romulans, the part that I edited out, that the Romulans go through a whole litany of terrible things that have happened in their absence, and I could surely go through a comparable litany, pretty much just, you know, all I got to do is just talk about the Supreme Court, right? Roe versus Wade, of course, is the elephant, but just in the last week, the court effectively neutered the uh, Environmental Protection Agency and also decided, even in the wake of Buffalo and Uvalde, that uh, people in New York should still be allowed to carry concealed guns. And while all this is going on, we're, we're getting the down and dirty with what happened on January 6th. And oh, by the way, there's a war raging in Ukraine that's been relegated to the back burner. But wait, you say, this is a show about animals and animal issues. And if I wanted a political show, I'd just go find one that suited my particular bias and indulge myself. Well, yeah, I suppose that's true. And while all this turmoil engulfs our life and commands our attention in the age of the 24-hour news cycle, more slowly moving issues, like, I don't know, say, maybe those surrounding animals, seem to get lost. Our guest next week, not this week's guest, but our guest next week will, in fact, have lots to say about that. And you're going to want to stick around. You're going to have to stick around all the way to the end to find out more about that. Yeah, sorry about that. But for today, well, what if one of those upfront issues that we normally don't think of as being related to animals did, in fact, very much have an animal tie-in? Today's guest, in fact, is probably the first we've ever had on the show who is not an animal rights advocate or an animal researcher. He's never taught or written about animal issues. He's never argued an animal rights case in court. He's never published an animal-themed article. You get the drift. He's not an animal guy at all. But he's one of the most sought-after experts on American politics, appearing frequently on CNN and MSNBC and Fox and pretty much every major network news network you could think of. And his predictive model for presidential elections has proven 100% reliable all the way back since 1984. He's gotten them all right. And that model is, is constantly used and quoted and, uh, and, and frankly, it's celebrated. Well, in 2019, Alan Lickman published Repeal the Second Amendment, the case for a safer America. And today he's going to join us to consider the tie-in between gun control and animals. Hint, it goes beyond hunting. And since we're talking about things that go boom on this 4th of July weekend, veterinarian Dr. Tom Picard of All Pets House Calls rejoins us also to uh, update on the latest strategies we can use to help our dogs and cats cope with the terror of fireworks. But since we have indeed been away for so long, we have a lot of catching up to do with Animals in the News. All right, so let's uh, stay with our uh, We're Back theme. Um, staying with We're Back, the Ringling Brothers Circus has announced that it will be returning in 2023, but without any animal acts at all. This, uh, this actually goes back a little way. The New York Times reported that it will officially return with its fo first show on September 28, 2023, and a tour of more than 50 cities, but 
as I said, without an, without any animals. Quote, Ringling has always evolved. Logically, in order to be successful for 146 years, you constantly have to change, said Kenneth Feld, the chief executive officer of Feld Entertainment, which purchased the circus in 1967. Feld is betting big on a revamped show that is centered not around things like elephants standing on their hind legs, but on narrative storylines and human feats. It has been uh, it has been through every economic upturn and downturn that we've had, said Feld of the Circus. It's been through two pandemics now. It always adapted. The Circus is just part of the Feld Entertainment lineup, which also includes franchise, franchises like Disney on Ice and Monster Jam, where giant trucks perform stunts. The company blames the collapse. Get this. This is this is this is this. This is good. The company blames the collapse of its circus not on the condemnation of animal rights activists, but on what it called an outdated business model. In an era where video games and the metaverse compete for children's attention, it toted things like its trapeze equipment, motorcycle cages, and a crew of 500 people and 100 animals around the country in mile-long trains. An expensive endeavor. <laughs> well, I... <laughs> Okay, don't you think the that the ec- economics and the animal issue might might just maybe be um, be related? I don't know. As some states like New York and Illinois began to move toward banning the use of elephants in traveling shows, Feld retired its herd with the final elephant appearance in 2016. It sold off the trains with its purpose-built cabins for the cast after the closure in 2017. Performers will drive or fly from city to city in its new iteration and stay in hotels, a tremendous savings made practicable by the fact that there's no longer a need to check in, say, a big cat. Not everyone is convinced that Ringling Brothers 2.0 is a sure thing. They can call it a circus, but I think their audience is going to be disappointed, said a competitor, Justin Loomis, the co-founder and producer of the Loomis Brothers Circus. It still features 12 ponies, 5 tigers, and Ellie and Tina, it's two elephants. Loomis navigates restrictive laws by skipping tour dates in cities where they are banned. People are going to go under the assumption it is what they remember, he offered. And then when they arrive and purchase their ticket and sit through the show, they're going to be like, hey, where were the animals? Indeed, when Ringling Brothers closed in 2017, it was still selling elephant-shaped plastic mugs at its concession stands. But Feld Entertainment has sculpted its return around the concept of circus as a 365-day-a-year experience, though what that exactly looks like is still a work in progress. Ringling-branded household items like toiletries are not out of the question, Feld said. A Ringling and Barnum and Bailey TikTok channel will debut in 2023, according to the company, and there are plans for branded NFTs or non-configurable tokens. All right, yeah, I, I, to me, that's just like they're, uh, they don't want to state the, they don't want to give the animal rights credit, but the animal rights, uh, do you honestly think that they would have retired the elephants if it was purely on economics? Or do you think that the economics would have even been an issue if there was not pressure? If people didn't want to, all you got to do is look at the model down in in, in SeaWorld and what happened down there with with, uh, uh, Blackfish and and, and the movie and what what happened to result in the economic pressure. You can't can't say that the two are, are separated. All right, uh, one more story. This one comes from our friends in Israel, uh, who, we, who we turn to a lot, uh, being a pioneer in, in this whole, um, in uh, the vegan movement. Uh, it's called, the company's called Vegan Friendly. It's an Israeli nonprofit. It's bringing its groundbreaking brand of vegan advocacy, 
advocacy to the U.S. for the first time. After successfully increasing access to plant-based foods and raising awareness of factory farming in Israel and the U.K., the group is opening its first U.S. branch in New York City. Uh, in fact, it should begin this month. Uh, Vegan Friendly will also air a new ad campaign, Hell of a Steak, on U.S. primetime television. I'm dying to see that, no pun intended. Uh, founded in 2012, Vegan Friendly uses high-tech R&D to promote veganism through multiple creative platforms, including social media, billboards, ad campaigns, and large events. The self-sustaining organization has devoted a number of successful projects, including the Purple Vegan Friendly Certification Seal, which has carried on 8,000 vegan food products in 2,000 hotels, restaurants, and businesses throughout Israel. In the UK, the seal can be found on 2,000 products in 1,200 locations of 500 different businesses. All right, so we'll be looking forward to that. You know, that whole thing with with uh, see, um, certifying a product as vegan, we, we need to do that. And we're all over the place. You can go and even if you look in, in a vegan-friendly store and you're looking at Gardein products or whatever, there, there are at least three or four different standards to say what is and what isn't vegan and we we need to uh, i think we need to sort of consolidate that um you know, using israel as a model you, there's only one ou i mean there's a couple others but if, if you're if you're for example worrying about kosher or halal you can kind of know that there's one that you can rely on i think we, we need to get to that too all right anyway all right one more and this one isn't really a news story i'm going to call this uh and do my best eric severide here for those who are old enough to remember an editorial um there is a billboard right near where I live, and it's proclaiming the feel-good benefits of a product called, ready for this, called Do Good Chicken. I don't know if you've seen these. Uh, they're, it's not just around here. They're probably all over the country. And, uh, you know, the idea is that you'll feel good about eating this chicken. Here's what it says. It says it reduces waste. It fights climate change. It produces less greenhouse gas. It's good for the planet. It's all natural. It's cage-free. And the best part, chickens are raised in humane society-approved conditions. Oh boy, all these things to feel so good about. What a great citizen of the planet I'll be by paying someone to raise and exploit millions of sentient, harmless individuals with real-life wants and needs that undeniably feel pain and want only to live out a normal life and not have it prematurely ended by being shackled upside down and have their necks sliced by a machine. I find this company and their approach, and their approach repugnant and disgusting. They are co-opting the sense of the greater good at the cost of the individual. And there's a tie-in for the theme of today's show being on this 4th of July weekend. We're going to shoot off fireworks. We're going to light sparklers. And we're going to feel good about being Americans, about being part of this greater good. We'll honor veterans and those who have sacrificed for this greater good. We'll wrap ourselves in the warmth and comfort of this greater good. And we'll call it patriotism. And will angrily shun and condemn those who dare criticize it, telling them to love it or leave it. We'll raise giant flags on our front lawns and glare angrily at those who won't take their hat off during the national anthem. You know, those bombs bursting in air. We'll love being Americans, even if we really have no clue what that really means. But we're pretty sure it most, it most of all means that we have a God-given right to own guns so we can fantasize about our invincibility. We'll bask in being part of the greater good, the greater good, the greater good, the greater good. Well, the greater good includes babies after they're born, not just while they're in the womb. It includes the children of Sandy Hook and Uvalde. And we don't have to draw a freaking line to differentiate between what the greater good does and does not include. All we have to do is try to be aware that it extends beyond us as individuals 
as to as many as possible, human and otherwise. And yes, that includes the chickens mercilessly slaughtered by the cynically contemptible, feel-good, do-good chicken corporation. Stay the hell away from this, will you? Do me a favor. All right. Quick break, then my conversation about repealing the Second Amendment with Alan Lickman. Do not go away. Hi, I'm George Brett for PETA. Summer is here and family activities are in full swing. Make sure that your entire home team is protected from the heat. It takes only minutes for a dog to become dehydrated, sustain brain damage, and die of heat stroke while in a parked car, even in the shade with the windows cracked open. Cover your bases. If you know that you'll be out and about, leave your dog at home, indoors where it's safe. If it's too warm for us to sit in a parked car, then it's definitely too hot for spot. Thank you. All right, Alan J. Lichtman is a distinguished professor at American University in Washington, D.C., with a specialty in modern American history and quantitative methods. He's published 11 books and several hundred popular and scholarly articles. He's lectured in the U.S. and internationally and provided commentary for major U.S. and foreign networks and leading newspapers and magazines across the world. For sure, you've seen him on CNN and NBC and pretty much Fox. Uh, I don't think there's a network that you haven't seen him on. He's been an expert witness in some hundred civil and voter rights cases. Uh, His prediction system the keys to the White House, has correctly predicted the outcomes of all U.S. presidential elections since 1984. Can I ask what happened before 1984? But anyway, he was listed among uh, the 100 most influential geopolitical experts in the world, and he received a Lifetime Achievement Award from Who's Who. In 2019, he published Repeal the Second Amendment, the Case for a Safer America. Now, on the surface, uh, gun control may not seem to fit in with our show on uh, the animal question, but I think uh, as we get into this, you'll you'll see it, it might. Um, Alan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, I, I know you're under the weather. I'm glad to, glad to see that, uh, that you are recovering or that you're feeling yes. better. Uh, good. So I, I have a... Um, I, I really love this book. I really love Repeal the Second Amendment, and, and I know it's been a couple years but I, I have to ask, um, it is such a passionate and such a, a high, strong topic. After you published this book, what was your reaction? What was the reaction? Were you threatened? Did you get a brick through your window? Did you get hate mail? What happened? <laughs> None of that. In fact, I was kind of disappointed. Not that I wanted a brick through my window, but I was disappointed that there wasn't enough attention being paid. To the book. I think on the one hand, the uh, so-called gun rights advocates believed, you know, they were winning mm-hmm. and they didn't want to engage with me. And on the other hand, the book really challenges the gun control advocates. Mm-hmm. It says, you guys have been pursuing the wrong strategy for many, many decades. This notion that we support the Second Amendment, but has gotten you really nowhere in terms of substantial gun controls. Right. You know, when I wrote the book, the last big gun control measure was the Clinton administration. Yeah. And, and that the book was the, if I'm getting the timing, right, which it's a sad state to say, you know, I can't keep track of all, of all the mass shootings in this country, but it was, was it Parkland was, was Parkland was kind of what that was the last one yeah, mentioned. And exactly. that was, did that kind of yeah. get the yeah. juices flowing in terms of, of, uh, yeah. but one of the big lessons of the book, and we haven't learned it well enough yet, 
is it's very myopic, myopic to focus on mass shootings. As horrific as they are, mm -hmm. they're the tip of the iceberg yeah. of gun violence in America. More than 45,000 gun deaths in the last year recorded by the CDC. 45,000. Insane. And, and un uniquely American, yes? Oh, or, I think we you mentioned are, Brazil. Yes. Yeah. Lauren, we are. If you're an American, you are 20 times more likely to be killed by a gun, not 20%, 20 times than our peers in the G7 nations plus Australia. You know, to believe the NRA, we should be the safest right. of the advanced democracies. Right. We are and, by a huge margin the least safe. Um, right. There's, there's a, um, and I don't want to digress too far for, for our purposes, but I, I, I thought it was, you know, I read it again in light of, of, uh, Buffalo and um, and uh, the the Texas, you know, and at the, I, I felt a few years ago that if 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 Sandy Hook could not generate any change, I, then I all, all help is lost. You know, all help is lost. It's utter despair, right? Now the fact that we did within the last week, we we do have we do finally have some legislation that seems to have come out of of, of the the two most recent, but. I'm sorry if I'm bouncing around a little, but one of the things that, that I thought was was really insightful in terms of looking at the history is the way the Second Amendment has been co-opted, right? It was it really was accepted that, as you parse the verbiage of it that the idea of the Second Amendment was was tied to a militia and it did not in any way imply any personal ownership right privilege, and as you describe in the book, it it took some doing to change that narrative and get the idea that, oh, yes, it does. And I, I, the part that really shocks me was when uh, McCain finally says, see, we've been, we were right all along. We've been finally this nonsense of, of it being tied to a militia. Why, wh why did it take so long? <laughs> there's there's a, lot, a lot of pieces to that. Why the need to, to use the second amendment to get that kind of passion or, or to get, to get the narrative changed or to, to altered so that people could feel that they had this, individual right that really wasn't intended by, by the framers. It was the most successful public relations in the history of America. You know, as late as the early 1970s, the National Rifle Association, not some gun control group, was saying, hey, you know, it's well established that the Second Amendment applies only to right. uh, the establishment of a well-regulated militia and has nothing to do with the private right to bear and keep arms. Then you had what's known as the revolution in Cincinnati in 1977, when the NRA elected a new militant leadership that decided the way to make the NRA what it is today, this incredible juggernaut on the right, this incredible uh, cash cow for its leaders, mm -hmm. we had to find a cause and the cause they found was the Second Amendment. Right. And you got this new wave of scholarship, mostly by lawyers, not historians, right. connected to the NRA saying, you know, it really was an ind individual right. You had Charlton Heston, you know, right. Moses uh, selling the Second Amendment. And then you had the right wing American conservatism buying into it as a hammer, not just on gun control, but right. generally against liberals and Democrats. And then finally, when you had a conservative Supreme Court in the Heller decision, you know, 
more than 200 years after the adoption of the amendment, right. which by five to four said, oh, it really does protect an individual right to keep and bear arms, written by the supposed great originalist Scalia, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who says you got to recover the original meaning at the time. And he could not find one figure involved in either drafting, adopting, or ratifying the Second Amendment whoever said it protected an individual right to keep and bear arms. Do you, as bad as, one more quick point. As bad as it sounds, I point out in my book the most decisive point that the framers never intended it to be an individual right was it was crafted by a slaveholder, ratified by slaveholders. Do you think for one moment right, right. they would have voted for an amendment that gave free black people an individual right to keep and bear <laughs> Not arms. a chance. Not they a chance. were all barred from the militia. So right. there was no question. Yeah. If you tie it to the militia, they would never get arms. It would have been close. Yeah. I, I mean, it, to, to me, that seems patently obvious, especially as, as the way you describe it in the book. Do you think that the passion, and this this is where we're, we're going to start tying in, that the, the, the passion, the desperation, the psychology was driven by was driven by the NRA for basically a profit motive, I guess, which is maybe ties back why it's uniquely American. Or were they just were they just tapping into something that was innate to the American psyche? In other words, we we love our guns. We love it. and and it to to me it, it seems like it's driven out of a, a, a sense of uh fear. Um, you actually ha have a, a line in the book that I think is, is really, um, really uh, the thrill of domination and control, the thrill of domination and control that comes with owning firearms. To me, that's that speaks to the to a, a psychology. Is it is that a uniquely American thing? So a, a multi-part. It is very un uniquely American. I can't say it's absent in every culture, but for the most part in Western culture, you don't have that same kind of psychic investment in guns. Right. It's a minority. Not everyone obviously has that kind of investment. But those who do have that psychic investment, as you say, they're very, very powerful and they're very organized. They are active politically and they vote. You know, it's not the money of the NRA. They are a minor player when it comes to money. You know, the Chamber of Commerce is, you know, many, many times a bigger player when it comes to money, but it is the passion that they can generate, particularly in these congressional districts where, you know, a, a few points can decide an election. Sure. Do you have a sense of what the source of that passion slash fear is? Why? You know, I, I, I came. I, I do. Go ahead. I think it has a lot to do and ties in with everything else that we're seeing in today's politics. And that is the belief that there is this unique cultural American way of life, you know, the culture of the pioneers, the founders, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant men who made America great, right? And we're going to mm -hmm. make it great again. And <laughs> kind of kind of this fear uh, of, of the other, who and the other is forever changing, you know, in the 18th century, yeah. the other was French Canadians. Now sure. it's Muslims, I guess, well, you know, and, and the fear of women and women's sexuality and you know, all this ties together with guns. You have this domination. And yeah, the fear of the So that actually that's an interesting premise that because America is, quote unquote, you know, the melting pot 
the other is always around us. The other, the other is always there. Whoever it may be. Whoever it may be. And and uh I actually had hadn't thought about that just just now. I um sort of sort of the, the reason I'm sort of zoning in on the on the psychological aspect. One of the things you you mentioned repeatedly in the book, which which really struck a chord with me, is as people as as the the the, the gun control argument always seems to have this preamble if you were uh we we um we um we respect the second amendment but right we that's we accept the, the second amendment but which is the st stupidest <laughs> that's the worst that that kills it right there and and you you actually mentioned that several times throughout the book that once you do that you are you're you're playing in their in their court you've lost you've lost you start with an apology to concession you lose right and it We've all done, I mean, they've all done it. I mean, you mentioned Obama did it. I mean, even yeah. Biden's doing Biden it. Kerry, they all did. They Kerry, right? Really, and it's like once you do that, but to to actually go out, that the political cost of saying no, if if a candidate were to come out, if I were to go out and run for run for my local state uh, house seat, and say I'm for abolishing the Second Amendment. I, I yes yes I want I want to repeal the Second Amendment I want to make guns controlled I want to make them similar to the way we manage automobiles and cars you know that that, that that's the way they should be regulated uh, going back I mean I feel like if I were to do that I would get a brick through my window I I, I would you know I'm 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 in a in a moderate part of Pennsylvania but I think I I, I would fear I would fear for my family I'm like and I don't know if if it can't I've never known a candidate anywhere in the country to actually do that to actually come out and say no, this, this is, this is, you, you, you need to do as, as you specify in the book, we need to, to repeal the segment, but the, the, the deep psychology, I'm going to get to that whole thing soon enough here, uh, of the, the passion is, is the danger, right? Why can't, why, what would happen if a candidate were to do that? What do you think would happen? Yeah, you probably would get a brick through your window and in, in moderate or conservative areas, you'd probably lose, which is why that's kind of getting ahead of what I'm advocating. What I'm advocating is it's, it's got to proceed kind of the way the, re, the one repeal we have, the repeal of the prohibition. Amendment. Mm -hmm. It's got to start with a movement and then move from the movement into the right. political realm, just as you have with, with civil rights. You never would have had the civil rights advances without, uh, you know, the post-World War II civil rights movement. You wouldn't have had Roe versus Wade without the women's movement for a while. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's got to start with a movement and just like uh, John D Rockefeller was so critical in turning against the prohibition amendment, you've got to have some pro gun people turning against it. But I felt like then, we, we had that after Parkland. I mean, we, we had what appeared to be critical mass and we had it after, you know, after Sandy hook and we, well, we seem to have done something after Uvalde here, but even with, with that type of, of movement, right. We don't seem to have, I mean, I, I actually haven't looked at the fine print of, of the bill that just got signed this week that uh, president Biden signed. And it's, you know, it, maybe you can help us out a little bit. What, what the, what, okay. the, but it, do you see that as a start or is it? Um, no. uh, well, I don't want to be a Cassandra here. Uh, <laughs> it is, uh, it's got some good things in it. Uh, limitations on straw purchases, for example, uh, 
eliminating the boyfriend exception. You know, if you have an abusive boyfriend, you can keep guns from them, expanding uh, our background checks for under 21. But it scratches mental health, which is good on its own right, right, but will do nothing for gun violence. There was no real, you know, this is another hoax perpetrated on the American people that gun violence is a mental health problem. False, false, false. Every study shows there is absolutely no relationship between mental health and gun violence. You cannot predict gun violence from mental health. Mm -hmm. Zero correlation. Mm -hmm. So there are some good things in it, but it's not going to make any difference. You know, it might scratch the surface. What does make a difference was the very thing that uh, the Supreme Court just struck down and that is strict permit laws. You yeah. know, there are six states with laws like New York State that was struck down, and the gun death rate is 6.6 .6 per 100,000, mm -hmm. 6.6. Hold that in your head for a moment. That compares to 16.3 for the rest of the states. The gun death rate is almost triple in states lacking these strict permit laws. And now the Supreme Court says, you can't do what is most effective against gun violence uh, uh it, that's the state of where we are i mean the the, the supreme court is, as we're speaking uh is not is not done yet they, they have their sites oh, they're, they're not yeah. even close yeah. to being done yeah um all right now let, let's let's bring it in uh I, I have a confession when when the book first came out in uh 2019 i eagerly picked it up very early in the in the in the book uh you you list the you almost do what you're what you're saying the other people you know that that there is a, a uh, there there are exceptions and it was of course self-defense and hunting and i was like oh then i went back and read right but but here here's my my thing with hunting and where the gun control good because uh, i haven't really thought much about it not being a hunter by the way okay okay um if you look at you have self what what is generally considered legitimate, reasonable gun ownership reasons. Right. You have self-defense because the, you know the boogeyman is coming into my house, and I have to be able to. I'm. I'm Which almost never happens. Never happens, right? I love that description of the book. It, there's, they're, they're coming in the house, and if I'm I'm a red-blooded American male, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna defend my family, and right, and right. you know that that it's back to the you know uh, why the uh, Second Amendment, but and I see that as it says self-defense and it is defense hunting is not self-defense hunting is offense it's going uh it, it is doing something that has a cultural uh aspect to it you know almost like fishing you know grandfather and, and son go out you know go out into the woods it's been down generation to generation but it it is there's no other way to well there's a lot of ways but the reality is it aggressively takes the life of an, of an innocent life, right? This deer or this buck or whatever it is you're shooting has done nothing to me for the most part, 99% it's not because you need the food. You know, there might, there might be rare, rare exceptions in certain part, but and I would actually, I would actually back off on that. So that okay. If, if you need to live and this is, the only, this is the only way to sustain yourself, that's right, very rare. That's a very, it's very rare. And, and, um, but there are parts in Alaska, right. Where, where that really, you know, but it, it is, it is offensive. It is offense versus defense. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on, on distinguishing that. Like, can 
could we, if we were to say, well, there are legitimate reasons, if there are any legitimate reasons, hunting ain't one of them. What do you think would happen? <laughs> oh my God. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a target enough calling for the repeal of the second amendment. Right. Now you want me to ban hunting. <laughs> right. Well, well, but you know, I, I I'm not a hunter and I don't advocate hunting, but right. boy, that's, that would be quite a, a position to take, wouldn't it? But see, see, I, I, I see a tie in here. I see that the, almost irrational like we've been talking about this rational love of of the gun of the weapon because because i'm the the other that, that was a really good example right. um is you know the, we, you said take it out of my cold dead hands you know that expression that's the only way you're going to get the gun out of my hand well if you use culture as the as a reason to self to self-sustain it's always it has always been this way my parents hunted my parents fished this is this is just the way it, it is do you do you have something that that is equatable to the movement where it says no why should i i, I have to evolve to see that the culture of just me and the boys out hunting um is in conflict with the with the life that i'm taking the innocent life that I'm taking that has done no, doesn't threaten me, doesn't pose uh, any, any harm to me. It's just something that I, that I like to do on a Sunday afternoon, but you have to, to say, take no, a gun, a, a gun is an implement is, is a thing that, that is meant to kill uh, that, that is, that is its purpose. It is meant to kill. And that's why in the, in a couple weeks ago, I'm sorry if I'm rambling. We had one of the senators said, got up, he really said this. Uh, you probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, after 9 11, we didn't, we didn't ban airplanes, did we? Yeah. So why should, why should we ban guns after Uvalde? You just, you just got to, you just got to be kidding me. But that, that seems to get lost, right? The fact that of that this love of killing an innocent life is, is, lost at the uh not lost but it's 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 offset by the love of culture yeah you know we've heard a lot about reverence for life because you know at the same time they restricted uh, gun control they've now yeah. forced women to be carry pregnancies to yep. term yep. you know I, I don't call this a, you know an anti-abortion decision i call it a, a forced pregnancy decision yeah. and they claim it's based on this reverence for life right well right. it's really easy to be reverent for life including just a few a few cells when it's in someone else's body yeah you don't have to do anything you don't have to bear any burden you don't have to face any cost nothing oh we revere this fetal life then of course once uh the woman has given birth and you have a independent needy human being. oh forget it you know well, the, well then you can shoot it with your gun care or you know <laughs> or, or child care you yeah. know you're on your own good luck yeah and yeah. you know one one could say you know it's this narrowness this narrow restriction of what reverence for life means that the these same people who are so revered for life won't take care of women yeah. won't take care of children want to proliferate these deadly guns and of course are strong supporters of the killing of animals. Yes, that's very that much. Really does bother me a lot. Good, good. And you know that that you use the word reverence, and you've got it in the, several times in the in the book. You've got it to tie into to religion. Yeah, and it seems like there there is a real um, there's a real leveraging or real co-opting. Uh, I don't know, you know, of of of, of exploiting religion, maybe 
you know, which historically, you know, whenever you need something done, you, you, you find a quote, you find, you find sort of religious, uh, re religious basis for it and you're good to go. And I, I, since, you know, you mentioned abortion and I see that there is, you have, you have the iron triangle. I see, I see it, you know, the, the, the triangle of, 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 you know, gun rights and abortion and uh, reverence for life. You're right. It, it, they're all, they're all twisted and um, totally twisted. And, and it's, it's exploitation. In and a way. we should have reverence, you know, for animal life, you know, they're not human beings, but there are fellow travelers. Yeah on this planet and they greatly enrich and enhance what's going. And again, at the same time, another decision at the same time, Supreme Court says, hey, you know, you can pollute like crazy. No problem. Federal government yeah. can't stop you from destroying our beautiful planet with this pollution for no reason other than the greed of these corporations. Yeah. No reason other. And they're about to do it for water pollution as well. So, you know, take religion. God gave us this wonderful, beautiful, amazing planet. It gave us this extraordinary wildlife. And what are we doing? We're destroying our planet and killing our wildlife while at the same time professing our godly reverence for life. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the ultimate, if, if you look at religions around the world, uh, Western religions, Eastern religions, the, the, the notion of, you know, do unto others as you would have them do to you, right? All religions seem to have that as their cornerstone. And, and even uh, non-religious beliefs, like there's scientific basis to say, well, why do I need a religion to say that which, is, if I don't want it done to me, it doesn't take too much to extrapolate and say, well, you, I probably shouldn't do it to you. So if you say, well, I wouldn't want to be shot in the woods. Uh, I wouldn't want to have, you know, my, my throat slit or something. Why even... Even if you say, you know, get into the, the uh, uh, you know, as an animal, a human, and, you know, what's, the, what's their degree of sentience and are they intelligent, you get down that slippery slope, give them the benefit of the doubt. It's alive. It's, it's moving around. Uh, it, it's, it loves its young. It's doing its own business. Shouldn't I just leave it to hell alone? <laughs> right? Especially when you don't need to kill right. it. I can understand, as we said, if you needed to sustain your life. Okay. And I can understand there may be a different issue with domestic animals. That's a whole other, whole other discussion. But why you need to go out just for your own psychic satisfaction and kill our precious wildlife, which is under threat anyway from sure. human habitation. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So uh, that, that was kind of what, what I, what I wanted to explore. I mean, it's just, it's just this notion of, you know, we, we see, we see guns, we see them there. There is like I said, up until last week to me, I, I felt the despair. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I, uh, oh, yeah. I, I mean, again, I, I know I said it before, but particularly after Sandy hook, I just felt if nothing could happen after Sandy hook, nothing, we're never, we're, we're lost. We're, we're lost now, you know, and, if, if we don't move, uh, if we're not moved by the death of our children, then we're, you know, what, what hope does the environment or the animals have? Um, much. Right. And, much. and um, to me, I've, I've said this frequently on the show, right? We, we talk about our evolution in terms of our technology. We rate our evolution, you know, well, back in the thirties, we had, you know, TV, television, and now we've got our smartphones and this is how we, we seem to, to rank and, and judge how we're evolving. But sociologically, I guess, psychologically, uh, as long as we keep doing what we're doing, 
we're very, very little evolved from the caveman. We're, we're still out killing for the same. And we might be returned to the caveman status because of yeah. climate change. Yeah. You know, if you don't have a livable planet, what do you have? Right. Right. All right. Listen, any, uh, I, I really appreciate your time. Do, do you have any, any, any words of wisdom? I, I hate to end on a down note here, but <laughs> uh, uh, I, I'm just curious where, where you see uh, in, in light of the, the recent legislation, do you, are, do you see anything trending? Do, are we going to need another one of these? To, to We're keep... probably going to need more tragedies because oh, that's so sad. this isn't enough. And we're going to need a change in the Supreme Court, which unfortunately is not going to come quickly. These radical conservatives, for the most part, are young. Now, Roberts, Alito, and Clarence Thomas are not young, but the other three are. Uh, Supreme Court has undergone, you know, huge changes mm -hmm. in the past, but it, it, it's slow. And I'm not a scientist, but I believe the scientists, 98% of them, tell us we don't have a lot of time to save the planet yeah. unfortunately yeah realistic but uh, uh sobering uh alan lichtman is professor at american university in washington dc thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it my pleasure take care all right a quick break here and then uh, philadelphia veterinarian dr tom picard is going to help our dogs and cats deal with fireworks and explosives do not go away <laughs> Your pets don't like getting in cages and cars to go to the vet any more than you like sitting in a waiting room. Why not remove the stress for both of you? Have all pets house calls with me, Dr. Tom Picard. Come take care of your pets from the comfort of their own couch. We do checkups and exams for illnesses, problems, shots, and much more. Monday through Saturday appointments throughout far and wide areas of Philadelphia and surrounding suburbs. Please call us at 215-843-1780 or please feel free to submit questions so I can answer them on the air for you. Contact us by email at allpetshousecalls at comcast.net or visit our website at allpetshousecallsvet.com. All right. After a too long of hiatus, we've 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 been hiatusing here everywhere. Let's bring it's back Dr. Tom Picard of All Pets House Call. Hey, Dr. Tom, welcome back to the show. Here. Well, thank you, everyone. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's good to get get back in the. Oh, let's make an animal uh get back in the saddle again here. We, I hadn't had my cancel culture or my culture canceled. <laughs> yeah, <there laughs> we were go. just on hiatus, I guess. Hiatus, <laughs> that's it. Hiatus. Yeah. Hey, listen, so I, I want to get to our, our our main topic here on uh, because of where we're heading seasonally here. But I, I have a I have a question. In my uh, I would like to say it's from a listener, but it's it's myself here. We have a. We have a senior citizen kitty, nice, he's in fine shape, but I'm just curious. I've always heard this, this adage that a cold nose, I think on either a dog or a cat, a cold nose is healthy, but this guy's got a really cold nose and he really loves rubbing up against your, your cheek and your face. And your hand. is it, is that true? Is a cold nose really the sign of a healthy dog or cat? And is there such a thing as too cold of a nose? 
And if so, why? Why is it depends on what part of your body they put that cold nose? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, that'll make you jump. (laughs) most of the times, but uh, kind of a yes and no, (laughs) like I'll explain, is um, not really. It's you know certainly you don't want them to have a overly hot nose, but their body temp is uh, is a good bit higher than ours to begin with. Uh, you know, we're 98.6 normally, give or take a few. Uh, and their normal is about 102.5 to 103.5 is even normal. Uh, and so they're going to maybe feel warmer to our touch to be to, to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you feel warm, those, you know, that's that's fine. That's probably normal. You, but you don't want to feel overly warm nose. Trust, if, a, if an animal's running a fever, I don't even need to use a thermometer. And probably most people don't either. They'll feel hot, you okay. know, like a person does. You can tell okay. when a person feels so It's, almost like, it's almost like putting your hand on their, you know, the old mother's thing, put your hand on your forehead. Yeah, if they feel neck. abnormally hot to you, they probably are, just like a person, you know. Okay. And if they're cold, well, I mean, certainly you could have circulation problems, I suppose. The nose is pretty well well circulated with blood. So it's just kind of one of those spots that any extremity of our body and theirs, our ear tips, their ear tips, nose, toes, mm-hmm. all that stuff, those are the ones that have the least blood flow through them so the body doesn't ship blood out to those spots as often as the rest of the body so they can feel colder at times which is then you know then the body gets a signal hey send some blood out that way so interesting so it's not it's a combination of uh, there's no blood getting there and it's it's moist right so there's yeah so and yet you don't want it to be too moist you don't want it to be too cold or too hot (laughs) it's like goldilocks or something all right so so there it is true so then a, a cold nose a, a sort of a cold nose then uh, is it's kind of just because uh, it it's kind of way of showing that they're not running a fever <laughs> uh, yeah that i basic? mean i suppose i mean i almost just kind of look for just kind of just like yeah you'll feel them sometimes cool you'll feel them sometimes warm sometimes in between you just shouldn't feel extremes for very mm-hmm. long periods that's what i say to look mm-hmm. for i suppose mm-hmm. that makes sense all right. Well, now questions. All right. So here we are. We are we, we are resuming this uh, right around that time of year again. And I know we've we've talked about this, uh, if not last year, maybe the year before. But um, it's it's a big deal. Fourth of July. We're and we're in the summer and we, we just added on another federal holiday, which is just another excuse to launch more fireworks and scare the bejeebers <laughs> out of our of our dogs and cats and and, and I, thunderstorms more likely and thunderstorms. as well yeah i don't know about you i bet you're you got my guys are, are well thunderstorms yeah i was gonna say they'll run for cover thunderstorms but there's something more violent about fireworks especially the, you know the if they set them off in the neighborhood there is something about um the uh, the the what's the they, they come so fast you know the kids will, will send these things off over or as a thunderstorm you might have a few minutes be you know between thunderclaps or whatever what can we what can we do for our for our friends here when we know this is coming what, what's the best thing way to calm them down well certainly one of the best things is if there's a way to have any sort of advance warning um sometimes you can get that with fireworks if you know it's planned anymore it's like any random you know you know person is setting off fireworks that you just don't have control over that timing wise calendar wise uh kind of the same i guess with thunderstorms if you know they're potentially going to be coming in the afternoon you can try and 
set up quieter, safer areas where there's nothing they can get hurt on if they're the type that gets a little panicky. A safe room, really, almost, oh, uh, where the blankets, pillows, you especially being there, preferably if you can. Yeah. Um, or if you have to be home, whatever location you put them. I mean, I'm sorry, if you if you can't be at home and you know something like this could happen, what works normally? Do they have a crate that they go in while you're at work? Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that they are comforted by, you know, pre- the more comforting, the better. Then you can have to turn to possibly, you know, medications if you if Ooh. things like that aren't going to be possible or not yeah. working as well. Yeah, I mean, some of that sounds like clearly breed, you know, like, uh, and and I know in the case of cats, it's usually you can try to comfort them, but what's really going to seem to me comfort them is, is they find their hiding place. They'll go. I got a guy that will just I don't know where he goes, but he goes under right. some couch or somewhere. And it's got to be like at least four hours after the last explosion before he, you know, he'll he'll come out. Cats are much better at this, I think, just because they can find the most amazing hiding spots <laughs> where they feel safe. Yeah, and, you know, there's not much we can do about it because you, you, you can't find them anyway. Well, yeah, and it's because <laughs> like I sometimes I feel like like it's it's futile for 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 me to try to I, the one one I one girl that she she'll sort of curl up next to me and, and take some comfort there, but the others were like no no just go hide somewhere but with dogs i'm it sounds like what you're what you're just bark and cry so you know where they are <laughs> yeah, right and, but they will take comfort like if it seems some of them will yeah that's yeah, all just by, by curling up on your if you if you i'm sorry if you overdo the comforting in some dogs that'll actually reinforce the behavior too of fear oh because they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're picking up on you like, you exactly or ooh. you're just marking that behavior like yeah. they get panicky you even just say try soothing words you might be especially depending on the age of the dog the younger more uh even soothing words you're marking that behavior they got attention for it and they may repeat it just because of that oh, there's so many yeah things. so it's a very con- <laughs> animal behavior is a very complicated field <laughs> yeah, i don't doubt it yeah animal behavior uh, and now what just uh the, the, you mentioned the medication that seems like that's that's like the last resort here but what what would be the what would be the 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 tipping point in terms of okay that that the um medication is called for well i think well one's always consult with you know your own personal vet you know before using anything especially because everybody's animal might have different things there's if your animal's on a certain medication I could say, oh, uh, Benadryl or something or other, but that might actually be contraindicated, not mm-hmm. good to use with uh, the medicine they use. So always check those things. Don't just use something based on hearing it you know, here, mm-hmm. there, or wherever, reading it on the internet. But one of the very safest drugs to try first in a lot of cases is Benadryl. It's so readily available. Uh, it's very, uh, it, it's it's sedating because it does cross the the blood brain barrier so they're that's why it will relax some if they get enough including us um and it actually in 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 a lot of animals is anti-anxiety too really believe it or not yeah and it's help you with the itching if you you know yeah i mean it's an antihistamine that's uh diphenhydramine right that's how you that's that's what it is and what's um i mean it obviously depends on the size of your animal but but what's a typical dose it's typically pretty easy to remember it's a milligram for every pound of their body weight oh is that's the high end you okay. try and go. I always say I always start out with like half 
of that. So you that's not something you can get from your your local uh, Rite Aid, Walgreens. Well, you, you can be. You just have to like you have to chip know, it up. up on it or yeah. cut it up. Like like yeah. for example, I, I did start giving it to my dog because one, he has some anxiety problems. <laughs> he has itching problems from allergies, and uh, he also needed to like sleep a little better. Uh, and it did help with all those things. And so he's like about 22 pounds, I'm going to say. So I started him out with like 12 more, like I cut 12 and a half, cut him in half, cut mm -hmm. a 25 and a half. Mm -hmm. And then I built him up to a full 25 and he can even take more than that. It's a very safe drug that way. They can get a little more sedated, but not very easily. They have to take a lot. You know, the most they're going to do is maybe get upset stomach if you give them too much for the most part, but you shouldn't be trying that anyway. Yeah, it's really cool how something like how they process something like that versus how we process. I mean, for us, that's actually a, a catch-all almost. I mean, we use it for for drowsing. If to help you get to sleep, we use it as an antihistamine for itching. We use it to uh, stop uh, runny noses, allergies. Uh, it's also the main ingredient in um, uh, anti-nausea, right? The, what, what yeah, for a lot of that as well. Yeah. And yet the, the main drawback is, is, is that uh, it, it, one of the main great things is that it's safe. One of the drawbacks is that it's not always that effective in, a, mm -hmm. in some cases or a lot of like these symptoms. Um, so sometimes you have to move on to, you know, stronger things. Um, and other things that are, are interesting uh, for younger dogs. And I'm going to try this with my dog too. It's like nine months old. Uh, there's these plugins, uh, one company called Adaptil, there's other types, and it's, it's, uh, you plug it into your outlet in the room where your animal is. And, you know, last I looked, I can't remember if they have a cat version or not, but, uh, it mimics, uh, a pheromone, a, a hormone substance that the mother dog releases oh, wow. to keep puppies quiet, uh, when they're nursing or just there which is obviously a protective mechanism because if they're making noise, a predator is going to sure. find them and come kill them. Uh, so oh, this amazing. is a, this, it's oh. a synthetic version of that pheromone and it is released through these little, uh, I guess, little atomizers that you plug into your just regular outlet. Mm -hmm. You don't see anything. I don't, you didn't, I don't remember smelling anything. And the younger the dog's supposed to work better uh, because they have more of those receptors for that pheromone in their brain. My older dog was almost 17. And I, I think it helped a little, but he was really old. So his receptor level was probably low. But that's something to think about. It just it calms them and relaxes them. And I, I'm curious to see how yeah, it cool. works on a younger animal. In yeah, I was going to say, you know, if because you, you were talking about trying to be prepared, it's like that's that'd be it seems like that that's no risk, right? If if you know, you know, it's it's super 10, safe from 10 o'clock on July 4th. Super geriatric, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, the, you know, the fireworks are coming, plug it in. What's the yeah. worst that can happen? You, well, you know. I just keep it plugged <laughs> in, frankly, all the time. You know? Or that, <laughs> yeah. On how much money you want to rent. They're like the, the filled things were like, I'm going to say like under $15 and it lasted for, I kept them plugged in 24 hours a day at times uh, for, I don't know, a while um and uh you know I'm, like i said i'm curious to see i'm gonna my dog doesn't like it when you know you leave home and stuff not yeah. not the separation anxiety but you know certainly borderline that you know and well, i'll I tell you see what how when, it works for when that we uh 
we'll get back together again after the fourth and uh let's let's follow up see how no. they see how i'll do. let you know my own All personal right. test your own personal research there you go and yet he doesn't seem to care about thunder or fireworks <laughs> you know so it's not what i really needed for it's just more like just me leaving the house <laughs> yeah, okay well, whatever, right? whatever whatever it's 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 still bona fide research we'll, we'll take exactly it's there kind of the same thing as all these things it's there anxiety and fear yep all right, Dr. Tom Picard, All Pets House Calls uh, in Philadelphia. Thanks. Thanks again. Good to good to be back. And, Absolutely. Uh, and happy uh, Fourth of July, happy everyone. Fourth. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. All right. That's our show for the week. Uh, like I just said, I'm really glad to be back. I want to thank deeply my, my guest, Alan Lickman. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you could tell, he was recovering from COVID. And it was very gracious of him to uh, to, to spend a half hour with me. He uh, kind of couldn't go beyond that. But I I, I really appreciate him him uh, putting himself out there for us. So thanks again, Alan. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear from you with your comments, ideas, or suggestions. If you got a topic you'd like uh, Dr. Picard to just, just check out theotheranimals.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Other Animals or The Other Animals 1. All right, finally, next week, yeah, I told you I had to wait all the way to the end to get to this. We have a big one. Uh, none other than PETA President Ingrid Newkirk. She's back. She's back. We're all, she's going to join us again. Uh, this will be our second appearance with us. Very honored to have her. And we're going to take a look at the, this. Is, if you can believe this, it's the 30th anniversary of her book, Free the Animals. If you've never read this, it is, it's an absolute page turner. It tells the story of how a 23-year-old police officer decided to join people who are willing to risk their careers and their own freedom to save animals from cruelty and death, even if it means breaking into laboratories, taking the animals, and living on the run from the law she swore to uphold. And I'm also going to be asking her to give us, I'm going to call it like a state of the movement address. Uh, she sort of did that for us when, when she, we uh, spoke a couple years ago. And I think it's just really good. I'm going to see if I can have her join us on an annual basis just to, to you know, who else but, but Ingrid Newcomb can tell us how we're doing, how the movement is doing. So you're not going to want to miss that. So, uh, all right. So that's it. So that's our show for today. Literally have a safe and healthy holiday. And as always, find a belly to rub. See you next time.